And so what that does is electricity is free. Nobody's charging you for the sun. It's just the equipment. You put it on your house and those things, they last you at least about 30, 50 years. There's actually a system in the Mojave that's they installed about early 70s, still going today. And that's the longevity of a lot of these systems and they've been getting longer. And so essentially the solar is a part of a microgrid. That's the generator portion. I'll never forget that day when I asked myself the question, is this it? Is this all there is to strive for in life? That day, I set out on a journey to find more. Now, I am sitting down with the most fulfilled to teach us the tools and tips they use to get there so we can do it faster. Think different, earn different, live fulfilled. This is Contrarian Cashflow. Welcome in Contrarian Cashflow. Today I've got Jordan Taylor with me today. Jordan, what's going on, my man? Hey, what's going on, man? How you been? Oh man, I'm doing, I'm doing, you know, just grinding it out like you, just hustling every day, trying to see what we can right. we can make happen. Right, right. Gotta get to it. That's right. That's right. Well, uh, so for those folks that don't know, so uh, Jordan is by trade an engineer, but uh, by what life results, a serial entrepreneur and a real estate investor. So Jordan, what do you and uh, and the crew have working on right now? Uh, so we've got a couple of projects going on. The main one that I'm working on, um, picked up a block of properties in uh, West side of Baltimore. Uh, we're flipping that and that's actually going to be a, uh, it's going to be really a sustainable community. Um, we're doing, you know, obviously the real estate side of things, but also the solar side. So uh, see a microgrid set up, um, you know, so many microgrids, you know, we're, we're plugging in people, getting them off the grid, getting them uh, independent power and getting them some some nice property. Oh, man. Well, you're already way over my head. So, all right, we got it. We got to delve into that a little bit. So tell us, <laughs> I mean, this, that sounds like an amazing project. So, so kind of, I guess, give us a little bit of backstory about just the fact that you have some experience with grids and, and sustainable energy, but yeah, tell us about this property. I mean, this just sounds really interesting. Got you, got you. So um, I, I, I'm trying to figure out where to start. Uh, it, the property itself is uh, 10 uh, single family townhomes in uh, West Baltimore's Union Square. Um, and right, they're in actually a historic district. Uh, so, you know, they actually have some some pretty good history to it. Uh, we're to do, we are looking to do some, you know, historic preservation, but it's kind of, what is that? You know, when you, you're kind of... Um, you know, uh, retrofitting it or modernizing it a little bit. Right, right, right. Kind of that, that old feel, but the modern, uh, modern aesthetic. So, um, you know, we're doing for old homes, essentially we're upgrading them higher energy efficiency to net zero. Essentially that means that they are producing, you know, or uh, producing as much as they consume average household, you know, consume about 10,000 kilowatts a year. Uh, we have a solar and storage setup that will be able to produce a, at least that much, if not more. So, you know, with that, it, it kind of creates a holistic, uh, holistic approach to, to real estate for me. But I mean, I've, I've been doing, you know, sustainable energy for a, a long time, like take it all the way back to Ella, mi middle school. My middle school science fair project was a vertical wind turbine. So I guess that's, that's kind of, you know, <laughs> how deep it goes. But yeah, man, yeah. No, that, that's, that's awesome. Well, let's, I mean, I know let's, let's kind of go from there though. So, I mean, that's why I think your background and your experiences are so exciting and unique. So, so kind of, how did the, how did this journey start? I mean, you talked about middle school, your vertical wind turbine. And then from there, I know you kind of were spinning up different businesses, even in high school. So kind of walk us through your progression and, and how you've gotten to where you are today. Well, uh, let me see. So yeah, I mean, it's, it started pretty early. My dad was a, a general contractor. Uh, so I actually grew up, you know, building houses, working with him, got to use 
use my hands. And so I was always hands-on as a kid and also using power tools as, you know, an adolescent. So probably not advised, but, um, you know, was always building, tinkering, doing a lot of stuff, uh, whittling. I always, uh, you know, had a, a lot of fun with that. But, you know, just kind of taking stuff apart, putting it back together, building computers, all kind of stuff like that. And so since being in, in that environment, I think that's kind of what geared me towards, you know, being mechanically inclined. And, you know, I got good at math. So throughout school, you know, I was always geared towards doing some accelerated classes and I actually had a really specific high school professor or high school teacher who turned into my college. Crazy story. I actually want to tell you the story real quick. My high school professor, he was my AP physics teacher. I ended up going to him for that wind turbine project when I was in middle school because my sister was at the high school. End up, you know, getting to high school and he was a physics professor there. And so, you know, I had an affinity towards him because I'd already kind of, you know, got some exposure to him. And he's a crazy guy, like no filter, like the best kind of teacher, you know, you could really ask for. And so, you know, he was just always pushing us to do more. He's like, hey, why don't you try out robotics? So, you know, he got me into the robotics club. And really that, you know, really what sparked a lot of my interest in the engineering side of things. And then ultimately, you know, I, I graduated, went to college, and I knew that he had lived up in Pennsylvania area because I went to Penn State. And I hit him up, yo, Willie D, what's good? You know, uh, I'm up here at State College looking for some place to eat, place to stay. He was like, yeah, where are you guys at? I was like, uh, we're on College Ave. And he was like, all right, give me a couple seconds. So I'm thinking that he's about to like call me back. And like, oh, you want to go here, here, and here? All of a sudden, this dude's like driving down the street. I'm like, what are you doing here? <laughs> So he had, he had left my high school and went to Penn State to be, he was the Nuki uh, professor and he ended up teaching my statics and dynamics class. And I had him like that very next semester. And it was like literally the best like experience that I could have really asked for. So, you know, that's, that's the kind of, of tech side, engineering, like geeky side for, for me. But, you know, like I said, since, since a kid, I'd always been into things. My dad uh, was an entrepreneur himself. So I kind of got silver spoon in that respect, building, you know, houses, getting dirty and he would work nine to nine, you know? So it was like an all day grind. And I was like, I don't, I don't want to do this. This is hard. I'm sweaty. I'm dirty. Like he said, all right, that's fine. You got three options. You can work for me. You can work for yourself or you can not have a job. And I was like, great options, dad. Thanks. So I was like, I'm going to work for myself. Started landscaping, probably eighth grade all the way to high school. Uh, you know, I built more and more every year, did mostly landscaping. And then with snow, I would do you know, shoveling. And, you know, after a while, I started hiring my friends. I probably finished with about 100, 120 or so accounts in Toronto and Baltimore City and County. And so, you know, started with my neighborhood, my grandma's neighborhood. You know, people see me outside cutting grass. And my boy Julian will tell you, he see me up walking up and down Ritchie Highway. I got my blower on my back. I'm pushing the lawnmower, got the weed whacker on top of the lawnmower. And I'm, yeah, I was like, I'm making moves, I'm getting to it. And so, you know, that kind of experience actually, you know, gave me the confidence to be able to step out and start doing other things that, you know, weren't necessarily the norm or weren't regular to, to most people. So I, I definitely kind of had that track record starting a little bit early. That's that's just so cool. I mean, the story about your professor. And then, I mean, I just, I still think the business is so, I mean, so what's it like being in high school and, you know, you've got this business and you're hiring your friends, right? You're not, I mean, so now all of a sudden you're your buddy's boss. Like what, 
what's that like? And, you know, how did that kind of change the relationship or what was it like working with your friends? Well, I mean, it was awesome, but tough all at the same time, because it's like, you know, we, we see each other in school and it's like, Hey man, like, you know, did, did you cut that? Did you get that loan? Did you get that job? You know? And so it was, it was great, but at the same time, it was like kind of like a lot of pressure, you know, but at the end of the day, because I was in high school and any high schooler bringing in twenty, thirty thousand dollars in cash, it's like, you I mean you can't ask for more. Like, you know, I I felt pretty good about it. But you know, it was it was at that time, I definitely like my business, you know, knowing me knowing what I know now, clearly I was doing it very poorly. It was just like kind of you know, some written down on some paper, like I need you to hit these addresses. And I would always try to get collections of areas so I wouldn't have to walk very far. Because I mean, I started in middle school, a lot of these areas I was walking to until I could start to drive. And so, you know, if I had things that were in the city, because most of my friends, I lived in Anne Arundel County. So most of those jobs, I would have them take. And then anything in the city, I would, you know, take myself. So I still keep the bulk of it. But for things when I was getting short, or if I just needed to be able to, you know, to get a ton of jobs done on a weekend, because I knew I had a lot of stuff coming up, you know, I would get them all together early in the morning, like, okay, you know, Mark, you're going to, you know, this area, hey, Steve, you're going to this area, and then I'm going to take the rest of them. <laughs> and so it was kind of just like shoot from the hip. So I, I definitely kind of got good at, at structuring and planning, because that didn't always work out the best. Yeah, well, on the people side of things, you know, we all know, you know, after experience, I mean, that's really the toughest part, right? Once you can kind of facilitate the operations and all the technical side, but but dealing with the individuals and kind of the different personalities and, you know, being able to to scale and, and manage is so complicated. Did, did you ever have to fire any of your friends or did they all hang on uh, throughout the process? So they were actually pretty good because they had already been like, you know, kind of in their own right, you know, doing their own thing. You know, they would cut their yard and maybe their their neighbor's yard. But I was like, well, hey, look, I've got equipment and I've got other lawns. I got money you can get. How about it? And so, you know, they were pretty consistent with it. I tried to make sure it was close to their houses so that they wouldn't either have to be bothering their parents to go take them to go cut grass or I could leave the equipment. A lot of my customers, you know, were whether it be friends or friends of friends, and they were appreciative and, you know, they were supporting like, hey, we see what you're doing. If you need to leave your equipment here because, you know, you can't drive or you can't get to somewhere, it's okay. It's no big deal. So I did get a lot of support in in that respect. But I think, you know, because I was always respectful and always, you know, kind of went the extra mile, like, hey, on on this is this is my 10th time here. I'm going to give you a discount or this one's on me. Or like when I was doing, uh, you know, starting to learn more things, I was doing retaining walls or actually doing planters, doing perennials and annuals and actually doing the the, the aesthetic landscaping portion and not just cutting the grass and, and doing the trimming. So it was those kind of things that I think a lot of my customers appreciated. And so they were always willing to, to help me out or, or go to bat for me. So no, that's awesome. And and then it eventually before, so I can't remember the exact synopsis, but did you end up exiting that while you were still in high school or between college or when did you, didn't you, right. cause you ended up spinning it off, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I wrestled, uh, with, uh, my, well, he was actually one of the assistant coaches and he had already had a landscaping company. And so I was like, yo, props. I got like a hundred lawns. How much you gonna give me for it? I can I can introduce you to everybody. You know that's gonna be all you. And he was like, 
let me see. I'll think about it. I'll think about it. And so it was probably about graduation time. And I knew that, you know, summertime was coming up. I was either going to have to make the choice to, you know, to stick around and and kind of, you know, figure out a way to to not leave my customers hanging. Or, you know, I, I gave them all the addresses, you know, their schedules, what they like, what they didn't like. And, you know, he ended up giving me enough to pay for all of my books for the next two years and probably some some pocket play money. Uh, so, you know, I was a happy camper because I had already made a ton of money, you know, the five, six years that I was doing it throughout middle school and high school. And then, you know, I got a chunk of change to, to be able to take with me on the way to school. So I was like, hey, I'll take it. I'll take it. So that was pretty solid. Yeah, man. No, that's an awesome story. I mean, not very many high schoolers are being able to exit businesses, you know, before they end up graduating around that same time frame. So <laughs> So from there, obviously, you went off to college. You talked about your professor over at Penn State. So kind of what was the progression after you had kind of done the landscaping? You had some exposure to entrepreneurship, but then kind of went down the collegiate route and got the degree. Right, right. So um, in school, school was, it was a good time. I had, had a good time. Uh, but, you know, I also worked a lot. I think I'd gotten so used to always being busy and active. I took accelerated coursework, so I was probably taking about 25 credits. I had an internship, and then I had uses about at least two to three jobs, you know, sometime throughout the year. And so I had worked, you know, I worked for Dave & Buster's, you know, I was a barista, I was at Starbucks. I worked at the the on-campus computer lab, so, you know, I was a technician there. And then I worked at a robotics uh, manufacturing facility, and that was like part of my internship. And so, you know, kind of getting the, you know, the the job life, the work life kind of experience. And it was like a real experience because I would wake up 7 a.m., go to my history class, and then I might have had, you know, my public speaking class. And then I have to scramble, either catch the bus or find a ride to to get to um to my internship, do my internship, maybe have another class, and then I would go to work. So I would always do closing shifts at Starbucks and Dave and Buster's, or I would do overnights at the computer lab. And so, you know, kind of like doing that and that it felt like I was making a lot of money, but school was also very expensive. I don't understand like how one has that many jobs and that many sources of income, but yet it was just like not enough money at the end of the day. And so, you know, from there, I started progressing out a couple more internships. It actually took me to a lot of different places. So I uh, got a few internships in Ohio, New Hampshire, California, Oklahoma, and took me a lot of different places. And I had gotten, you know, a lot of the, the corporate experience, you know, working in small and large offices, Fortune 5,000 of Fortune 5 companies, you know, so it was a whole range, uh, range and spectrum of different types of companies that I worked for, mostly in the engineering experience. And then I kind of started to migrate some towards technical sales And then ultimately, as I was kind of going through that progression, you know, after finishing college, you know, I started getting into solar and that's kind of where my my solar journey started. And, you know, that was when I fully kind of gotten into sales. So, you know, you name a company, SolarCity, Vivint, Sunrun, Tesla, you know, all those guys, I worked for them and was building, you know, teams of 20, 30, 50 individuals. And we were dominating, like I'm talking about crushing numbers like unprecedented growth. And it was, it was a, it was an awesome time. Like my whole team was paid. I'm paid. 
we're all making money, having a good time. And, you know, it was like, you kind of get up to that, that height. And it's just like, well, what's, you know, what's next? What's the the next level? But at the end of the day, I was still working, you know, within the the kind of confines of a company. And, you know, you have your issues with your, you know, always sales is needy. We're, you know, drama queens, whatever. We need this, we need that. And yeah, you know, a little bit to some extent we are, but um, it was just like not being able to, whether it be meet the needs of my sales reps or to be able to make the moves that I wanted to with some of the the projects that, you know, would get introduced to me. You know, I'm, I'm getting contracts or, you know, projects in Karachi or East and West Africa, you know, these types of projects that I'm like, well, I would love to be able to take these projects on, but with the current, you know, company that I'm with, they aren't even entertaining it. So, you know, me, a couple other guys were like, hey, I think we can do this. Like clearly built, uh, you know, and, and generated enough numbers, done enough deals, you know, let's go ahead and, and take this on. So, you know, again, in in the the foray of kind of stepping out on to something that I don't know anybody else that really has done something like this, but you know, I've done enough. I'm willing to try it. And, you know, we, we actually did really well. You know, we got a lot of support from, again, all of our existing customers, you know, purely referral-based selling. And that's what made a lot of what we were doing really easy, building up those teams. But then ultimately, you know, things happen. My partners and I, we were not on the same, same, uh, weren't eye to eye as far as like the direction that we wanted to take it. So from that, you know, I said, hey, look, how about I'll go ahead I'll go and do my own thing because I still had my real estate. Because at that that point, I had definitely accumulated enough. I had purchased some properties and was looking to kind of settle back and, and get a more stable foundation. Because, you know, you're talking, I'm in Illinois or I'm in New Jersey or I'm in Florida building new sales teams and new sales channels. And, you know, at the end of the day, I'll be there for a year, two years, and then I leave. And now all of that's, you know, I can still call those people, you know, Florida and Jersey and, you know, wherever. But at the end of the day, you know, family, friends, you know, I would always be having to make those trips back home. So that was kind of one of the reasons that it was like, yeah, maybe maybe going back to, to MD, uh, DMV might, might not be so bad. So, you know, now that I am back here, I was like, that was actually a solid move. You, you know, you catered yourself a little bit for it because, you know, it, it kind of like, you know, I was almost like tail between your legs, like, oh, let me go back home. I, I guess I'll do it. But at the end of the day, I've actually been finding that it's been helping out my business more and more because I already know the connections. I already know the people. I've already have a reputation that's been built here. And it's been helping accelerate the growth of my business because where, you know, types of revenues that I was making when I was doing sales, I can do that in a couple projects here. And, you know, it's, it's, it's no big deal to even make that happen. So the, the ease of the deal is, is way better than anywhere else. I would have to put in so much work and sweat and, you know, tears trying to make certain deals happen where I didn't have that kind of support system. So this is definitely uh, ideal of being back here. Well, so I think that's so interesting. I mean, so you're building these teams for these, you know, very well-known companies within the solar space. And then you guys decided to kind of go out and branch out and see what you could make of it on your own. What were the biggest lessons you learned from that? You know, you talked about the partnership and, you know, there were maybe some challenges at the end, but overall, you know, what do you think you learned and and what are you better for from having that experience? Oh, wow. Number one, you can do it and it can be done. Like, don't, don't hesitate. Go ahead, pull triggers, like, you know, shoot first, act later. Other thing is due diligence, you know, like working with your partners or any partners within the companies. 
you know, we had a couple companies that we ended up having to part ways with in the time that we were there, just because whether it be they weren't their operations weren't up to our liking, or uh, they had you know t- some issues with maybe it was their own internal operations or logistics. They we couldn't get products fast enough, or you know they were having their own issues, and you know it ended up affecting us as far as their reputation goes. Making sure to to look into that stuff and carefully choose your partners. You know, again, like I said, I'm all about you know shooting from the hip, but at the same time, you also have to make sure that you do, you know, your, your due diligence. So, you know, I, I always look to move fast, but, you know, I, I do my due diligence faster. And let me see, those, those are, those are definitely two of the biggest ones that stand out. Let's see if I can, you know, get any, get any more for the people. I mean, I don't know. I definitely just, those are, those are big ones. I mean, honestly, I mean, I think, you know, taking action is so important. And I think that's really where most people get stuck on. Right. And, okay. you know, even from that, you know, I mean, cause in the same vein, I've had real estate partnerships that, that blew up. I mean, you know, that just, you, you do a couple deals together and that's the crazy thing about partnerships is that you can, you know, it can start off great and you can have mm-hmm. great success together. And then all of a sudden there's just an instance and you're just like, okay, like, I guess we're not on the same page, right? We're mm-hmm. going different directions. And I think that's unfortunately sometimes takes the action of actually doing deals because mm-hmm. I, I had a great relationship with the general contractor, but I didn't realize till later on that the majority of the flips we had done together in the beginning were easier because I just didn't know any better, right? Because I hadn't mm-hmm. flipped a lot of places. So I'm just like, well, this place is pretty beat up, you know, <laughs> like this is bad. And then when you see a really bad flip and you're like, okay, like, no, 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 this is bad, you know? And so I think, you know, just kind of different expectations, different ways to spend money, different ways to float money, different ways to communicate, you know, some are a little bit more transparent, some are a little bit more right. you know, foggy as far as how they communicate <laughs> bad news. Right. And so I think just, no, I think those points are extremely valid. So, and I, I mean, I, you know, a, a lot of people, it, people are different and everybody goes, it's a relationship and everybody changes throughout their entire life. Like, if you're not growing, you're dying. So I think that everybody should regularly be changing and not all the time people grow into the same directions. And so I, I think maybe a last one that I could say is I, I'm not a bridge burger. You know, like even if we have, you know, differences in opinion, people always have their opinions, you know, and people have a whole different background and upbringing. So that's the reason that they think different than you. That's one to be appreciated and it's also to be respected. So there's no reason to disrespect somebody for the way the experiences that they've had. So, you know, I'm always, hey, look, I get it. We clearly don't agree on this. Let's find the best way that we can both, you know, win on leaving each other and let's because at the end of the day, I don't want to ever like, you know, have that person say like, oh, he did me dirty or or he did this and that. Like, nah, I mean, we should one be able to go and grab drinks if I, you know, if I'm ever back in North Carolina or if I'm ever back in Jersey, like, hey, what up? What's going on? How you been, man? Everything's all good. Business is good. That's what I like to hear. Because at the end of the day, it's like if you're in a relationship and you're holding that person back, I think that you're doing a disservice to people. If you're not allowing people to grow in the ways that they see it for them, you know, it's, it's never a good setup. So, cause I, I don't want people to do that to me. If I'm growing and I'm growing in the way that I want to, it's making me happy. Hey, why not let that person do the same? I, I love that. That was a good, that was a great explanation. And to your point, you know, nothing really positive ever comes from bridge burning, right. You know, mm-hmm. so, Hey, you know, difference of opinion, obviously this relationship, the way that it's currently structured isn't, isn't working in or functioning in the manner in which we expected. And so, Hey, you know, let's, you know, let's shake hands and just realize that, Hey, you know, it's time right. for us to move on to greener pastures in different directions. So, well, you jumped into the real estate a little bit. So 
So when did the real estate come in? You had like, you know, you had the the land landscaping business, you've done some solar stuff. So where did the real estate, and I know your dad was a general contractor. So, you know, where, but where did it come from where you started being a little bit more involved in investing from a real estate perspective? Yeah. So it, it partially, like I said, started with working with him, you know, kind of getting into houses. He hadn't done really many flips. He was more of the home improvement. He'll do kitchens and bathrooms. You know, occasionally we'll do some full guts and stuff like that, but you know, he wasn't the real estate investor per se, but he definitely started the trend. My brother was one of the first uh, to get his properties. And so, you know, I was, I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. That's kind of cool. Let me check it out. Helped him, you know, with property management. And then I was like, well, all right, I want to get one. And he was also doing flips because he's also, you know, a contractor as well. And so, you know, he was like, all right, let's do it. Let's do a flip. I'm ready to do a flip and we just going to do it, do it. And I was like, all right, let's do it. Man, 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 that was terrorizing. It was a lot of work and it was just so treacherous because we never knew if we were going to get out of it. Like at a certain point, you kind of are in it and you're in so deep that you never know if you're going to necessarily like make money. So on our very first flip, made a couple dollars, you know, paid for all costs and stuff like that. So still came out with, with a few bucks. But I think that learning experience was probably one of the most valuable things because on the next one, we still didn't make a ton, but we made more. And so it was that progression that for me gave me the confidence. It's like, okay, well, flips is, to me, was always the most difficult thing to, to always the most arduous of, of real estate. You know, doing the property management stuff and working with tenants, that's people. And I, I think that for me, like people is easy. That's a, the easy button. Granted, they're unpredictable, they're variable, but at the end of the day, most people are, you know, genuinely good people. They're looking for a place to stay, you know, as long as you treat them well and you say, hey, look, they treat this property like it's yours and I'll treat you like my family and friends and we'll take care of each other. Like it's a, it's an easy way to go. And so, you know, kind of those two, two, two elements really made it where, I started to, you know, started to acquire money, started to acquire funds, you know, like I said, from solar and then buy my first property. I didn't buy my property until what I felt was late. You know, I think that I had really been exposed to real estate at that point for at least 10 years. And so it took me a very long time. And that's what we were talking about, action. A lot of people that I talk to, it takes them forever and forever. It took me a very long time. And I I was well-versed in real estate. But after that first one, it became very easy. It kind of ripped off the Band-Aid, you know? And I was like, well, that was that was easy. It was like way easier than I thought it was going to be. Let me just do another one. You know, I started buying more. And so after kind of like accumulating, I think it got to about three or four and I was like, okay, this is cool. And I think that I can, you know, be in a place where I can progress and I can retire, you know, just off of the cash flow off of these. But like, is that really what you want to do? And I started questioning. I was like, maybe I want to do like commercial stuff. I want to do the big boy stuff. You know, I'm I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get into it. And so, you know, that was actually one of the reasons I purchased this property. And this came uh, was in an auction. Uh, it was a set of 10. And so, you know, I was like, hey, why not? Let me go bid on this. And I did know a little bit, a little bit about auctioning, like very, very little. But I definitely knew I was like, hey, if I got a good deal and, you know, I can find the money, even if I don't have, you know, I think they were asking initially was like, I think the bidding started at 150. And I usually know that, you know, bidding will probably at least double, depending on if it's a good investment. The value of the property was probably about 500. 
And so, you know, I, I done my due diligence. So I came, went through the property, did inspections. And it was funny because I had had uh, a couple guys who were here, one from Jersey. Uh, the other one was from Virginia. Uh, I, I did a podcast with them and they were just like, man, I don't understand how you are, you know, going to, to turn this around or make this, you know, a profitable property, a profitable project. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I understand that, but I've been doing this long enough. I know, I know how to make it shake. So, you know, like what I was talking about with the microgrid, there are a lot of things that, you know, people are willing to pay additional for. There are things that are, are better to do to your properties that will give you more value. And I'm a long-term investor. So, you know, I want to make sure that what I'm buying, I'm going to keep in my portfolio for a minimum 15 years. A lot of guys usually turn over after that because their depreciation runs out. But at the end of the day, if you're owning a cash flow property that's netting you a lot that you can still leverage, I mean, at the end of the day, what's wrong with just, you know, leveraging the property again, then, you know, what's what's wrong with that? And then also, like I said, with solar, you know, that increases, you know, cash flows and stuff. So, you know, in, in total, you know, it, it started kind of slow, but it snowballed into something so much larger because now I'm taking a lot of these other experiences and like kind of like, you know, putting them together like Voltron. And it's really cool. Like I like every day I'm be, I just think I'm like, this is crazy. This is literally like because I had I had probably thought about this maybe seven, eight years ago. And I was talking to her. This was like my solar crew then. I was like, yo, like, you know, and I, I, you know, they knew I did real estate. They were like, yo, we can get some properties. We can put solar on them. We can get buildings because we were thinking about getting our own space to, you know, do our uh, solar parties because that was a, a thing that we did. Solar events like lunch and learns, get everybody to come in. And we were like, yeah, we can throw solar up there. We can show people how it works, this and that. And kind of it started like working on this idea. So it had been rolling around and, you know, kind of matriculating in the back of my mind. And then kind of to be here now. And it, this is both a real estate development project and a solar development project. And ultimately, as a whole, it's a sustainability project. And for me, as you know, as a person, I'm, you know, as much as I, I enjoy doing the the real estate stuff, you know, it, at heart, I'm probably like an outdoor person. Like, you know, I, I love getting outdoors. I love, you know, skateboarding, freeboarding, surfing, boogie boarding. Like I want to be outdoors in, you know, in the nature and stuff, but we're murdering the planet. So what's a better way to be able to make a decent amount of money? You know, I, I always love to, to make money because it gives you the freedom to do what you want to do, which is be outside. Why not like make the combination of all those things and make it fun and make it make money and make it make sense and help other people, you know? So now that's basically what I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing is taking projects like these and I'm actually uh, planning on doing another one. So I've already gotten, you know, requests and bids to, to do a couple other projects that are like this, um, not only in Baltimore, but in, you know, Pennsylvania and Arizona, because this is something that is, is, I guess is uh, is trending. I never looked to be, you know, a part of the trend. It was just something that I liked doing and I enjoyed doing. And now it just so happens to be the new wave, you know. So, I mean, it's, it's been a, a fun ride all over the place, but I definitely have been, have been enjoying it. Well, and I just love how you articulated kind of taking all those skills that you learned from landscaping, working with your dad as a general contractor, you know, all the different science fair projects, the, you know, with the professor, your, your experience as an engineer and just kind of these different areas, the sales experience from the solar side and kind of, this is what's kind of groomed you and kind of created who you are. And now you're kind of able to 
you know, accumulate all these skills and kind of p- put them together to be kind of where you're going now. And I just think, I just think that's so impressive. And I think that's what people struggle with sometimes is being able to articulate the skills that they've accumulated throughout their career and throughout these different, you know, experiences that they've gained. And I think you've just said it so eloquently and kind of drew it all together. So solar is something I don't have a ton of experience with. I'm assuming mm-hmm. the audience doesn't either. So a microgrid. So kind of break down like what does it cost to add solar to this to this 10 unit project you're talking about? And what is a what do you, what even is a microgrid? You know, I, I'm assuming it's smaller than a regular grid, but that's about all I know. <laughs> <laughs> got you, got you. Yeah. And and that's one of the things like solar is always seemed like this, you know, nebulous, like super unattainable, unattainable thing. But solar is like super basic and super simple. You know, solar panels, solar collectors, they take the sun's rays of energy, translate those into electricity and the usable kind that you can use in the house through an inverter. And so what that does is electricity is free. Nobody's charging you for the sun. It's just the equipment. You put it on your house and those things, they last you at least about 30, 50 years. There's actually a system in the Mojave that's they installed about early 70s, still going today. And that's the longevity of a lot of these systems and they've been getting longer. And so essentially the solar is a part of a microgrid. That's the generator portion uh, that produces the energy. And then now the, the very important other component is storage. So you wanna have a way that after the sun shines, you don't always get electricity all day from the sun because it goes down, but it produces a ton. Like anywhere from the hours of, it's about the, the key hours are 10 a.m. to 4 p.m is where it producing a maximum amount of energy where the sun's highest in the sky. But that usually is producing at least about two, two and a half times the energy that you require for the day. So you want a place to put that. So you put that into a, a, a battery bank and that battery bank will be able to collect all that excess power. The system will power your house during the day and then you'll be able to draw from that battery bank during nighttime. And so this happens every time the sun goes up and goes down and it's a consistent cycle. You want to size it in a way in which, you know, if it's a cloudy day, if it's rainy, you've got that extra bit of juice that you can pull from. And the reason we are doing a microgrid itself is that we want to create a small network of homes that are doing this on their own. They are actually able to simultaneously take that electricity, store it into the battery banks. But let's say for some reason you've got a party going on next door. You got the AC crank and the stereos on. He's running microwaves and toaster ovens and he's just consuming a ton of power. You, with your battery bank, have the ability to go and send him power through the power lines. And that's what makes it a, a microgrid. So you can always, you they're called prosumers. You always consuming, but you also have the ability to produce. And so you kind of make it a community effort to make everybody sustainable. And now, you know, if the grid goes down, we don't have to worry about it. Our community as a whole, we're producing uh, 100 kilowatts of power, you know, for the year. And we've got our batteries to store it. We actually support each other and not have to rely on transformers and substations that are built miles away. And if they're going to be, you know, jacking up oil prices soon and they're changing rates and including tariffs or working on power lines and stuff like that, because ultimately we're exposed to all of that. We have no control over it. And we've been financing the grid for as long as we've been paying power bills. And at the end of the day, a lot of times power goes out. That's because somebody hasn't been taking care of stuff. What does that do? That affects us. So we've been paying you all these years and you haven't been doing your job. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. You know, so it was both from necessity and also from it just makes more sense to be able to have communities 
that are able to work together in this environment as opposed to continuing on the way we've been doing it. Fossil fuels have been murdering the planet for years and years. We were, you know, when we first saw oil, it was we we thought it was endless and we were just burning that stuff like, you know, to to no end. But now we kind of recognize, hey, maybe we shouldn't burn the planet down just to find these oils because at the end of the day, I have kids. I don't want them to have to go to Mars. Like I love Elon, like he's the man, he's cool, but like I don't want that have them have them grow up on Mars because we can't li- live on this planet anymore. So to me, it just makes a lot more sense that if this is something that we can, we have the technology to do today and it is more profitable. I think a lot of people kind of, you know, get mixed up because they think that solar is more expensive. More times than not, if you're purchasing equipment, it is an initial upfront investment. But just like real estate, what is that? You Do people go and pay cash for houses these days? That's not much of a thing. Banks know that they produce money and they consistently appreciate in value. And the same thing for solar systems. They know that these are income producing assets. So now a bank will say, well, hey, look, we'll go ahead and we'll give you the financing for it. And essentially what you pay for that financing is usually about 30 to 40% less than what your actual electricity bill is. It also adds to the value of your house. So most people will take a HELOC out. Let's say a system is $20,000, $30,000. They'll take that $20,000, $30,000 out of their house and it goes right back into their house because now their property value goes up. And so at the end of the day, you're really just securing the energy security of your home with the value of your house, which comes from the system and the production of you know energy and independence. So that's in a nutshell, like what it is, you know, you got other things like the technicals of which type of inverters you're using, or if you're going to go, uh, you know, micro inverters versus, you know, doing inline or, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a lot that you can get into as far as like the, the technical nature of composing the system itself. But for most people, when I sit down with them, they don't care. I don't care. I just I want to make sure my power is cheaper and it's always going to be here. So that's what the you know those systems do. And then, like I said, with with this project and this is really a, a pilot for more communities that are coming like this. And it's kind of modeled after uh, there's a, a Brooklyn microgrid project that's up in New York, and they actually trade their power to each other on a blockchain. Which you know, if it, maybe some of your your users might know that that's cryptocurrency related. You know, they have their own network and basically it just keeps a ledger of who traded power to whom. And now you have a facilitating, you know, software facilitating the trade of that electricity. What's the need for a utility company? Utility who? Like, what, what do we need you for if we can do it ourselves? You know, so that's kind of the the appeal to it is that I no longer have to worry about, you know, where my power is going to come from or somebody, you know, hiking up prices because they changed the price of oil or because, you know, we got delayed shipments of oil that, you know, we can't access or they're, you're changing prices in OPEC, you know, so a lot of that stuff kind of goes out the window. I mean, in addition to security, you know, a lot of people have been talking about those attacks, you know, blowing up substations. And at the end of the day, you, you don't have to be off grid, but in essence, that is what you are. You, you, there's not a necessity for a grid when you've created your own. You know, so it's it's so many benefits. Like I, I literally can continue to name off more and more benefits as time goes on, you know, but for me as an investor, you know, when I look at stuff like that, I also look at it from the financial side of it, where this is essentially the same product as what I do for real estate, except that it is smaller. 
it's a technology, so I definitely get much better depreciation benefits. It is something that is security for my property itself, because now I don't have to worry about my tenant calling me in the middle of the night because the power is out. I'm not the utility company. I can't fix that. But, you know, yet you're going to blame me for, you know, the, the power going out. Now you have no no reason for that. Oh, you don't have hot water? Hey, perfect. We, we actually can we can take care of that for you because I can check from my phone. A lot of these things are integrated with online applications or they have a lot of uh, technology built into them to be able to monitor remotely. So I always know what's going on in my properties, you know, thermostats, you know, HVAC, you know, water heaters, all those things makes my job and my life a lot easier when that's all I got to do is pick up my phone and, and check what's going on in the property. So Oh man, I appreciate the lesson. I mean, yeah, you pretty much dropped tons of nuggets there. And I mean, I can tell why you're so good at selling the systems because, you know, I'm about to go out and buy one right here. You know, I was like, like, Hey, how much does it cost, man? Can you come out this weekend or what? (laughs) No, that's awesome. I appreciate that. And that breakdown. And I mean, I think it's, I'm not as familiar with it, but I definitely think, as you said, you know, as people are kind of looking more to sustainability, independence, and from an investment perspective, you know, depending on how long you're planning on staying in the property or the utilization that you're going to use for it, you know, I think solar can be a, a huge benefit and opportunity. So I really appreciate you sharing that. So, so I know you've got like all these different things going on right now, but from a cash flow stack perspective, so obviously, you know, it seems like you're not working W2 anymore, but maybe you're doing some independent contracting or business mm-hmm. or passive income. Where's the majority of your cash flow on a monthly basis and your income coming in from right now? So the majority of cash flow is coming from the rental properties themselves. So that's where a predominant amount comes from. Basically, you know, make sure all my, my bills and stuff are paid. And then for, you know, any secondary income, you know, I, I also do investments, not as much in the stock market. I'm not, I'm not preferential to stocks. Like no offense. And I love all my, my, my traders and stuff like that. Like y'all my people, but it's, it's a, it's a job in itself. It's definitely a very valuable skill to have. You know, it's it's a ton of money to be made out there. But for the most part, you know, I do a lot of mostly I look for passive stuff. You know, I had a few ETFs, but, you know, since the the rush, you know, probably about the past two, three years for me, I've been kind of shifting more of my assets into, you know, the crypto. So that's kind of my, you know, back in retirement side of things. And I've not been not been upset about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I think any of us looking back at two, three years ago, you know, I kind of got into it like during that initial run up in 2018 and then it tanked and I was like making, you know, I was like telling my buddy, I was like, thanks for getting me involved in this. You know, you just made me lose all my money. And then obviously since then it's gone, not, you know, the last what, nine months, 12 months, it's just gone gangbusters. So well, it's, it's crazy. My boy, Mike told me about this and this was back in like 2012, 2011. He was like, yeah, I'm building a, it's, it's a mining, mining machine. Uh, you know, mining survey. And I was like, okay, that's cool. You And that was like, you know, I can't remember the guy's name, but you know, the Silk Road type of stuff. And I was like, well, yeah, that's, you know, that's, that's fun. You let me know how that goes. <laughs> and Mike is doing pretty well. So he's, he's got, I would say if we could all go back 10 years and, you know, sit, stand up a few mining servers, I think we'd be doing all right ourselves. Right, as well. So, right. Well, Jordan, this has been a really awesome conversation. Let's wrap up here with the contrarian three pack. So, I mean, you know, you've been quite a few areas. So is there one investment that stands out in your mind that may be the most contrarian or off the beaten path versus any of the others? Let me see. I mean, it probably would have, would have to have been a crypto because it, before it was popular, you know, I, I kind of was was in there. 
Well, let me let me see if I can get another one because more more times than not, like investment into. Um, I mean, I guess some of the skill sets that I have. Some of the skill sets, a lot of people, you know, because I was, you know, pretty good in as far as like engineering and math and everything like that. But people saw me, you know, kind of do a pivot or or start to investigate other skills, you know, which for me was sales. I was like, well, this is still an investment in myself. And I'm taking a lot of time to make sure that I learn this and, you know, get better at it. Because ultimately, if I know that I want to be a business owner, I'm always going to have to be selling. So that's probably one that was also contrarian. And that was maybe a little bit contrarian because maybe more times you're thinking about an actual cash investment. I'm talking about investment in my in myself. So no, I, I love that. And I mean, to your point, it's funny. I was listening to the news yesterday and we're talking about how majority of people crypto is just going to be a portion of your portfolio now, right? It's just, Hey, you know, what coins are you looking at? You know, are you looking at more stable coins? Are you looking at more altcoins? Are you going to be a little bit more aggressive on the risk tolerance and, you know, maybe try to throttle some stuff up. So no, I mean, it's super interesting. And I mean, I'm, I'm with you. I think Regardless, blockchain is here to stay, you know, yes. where these cryptos are going and where, where it is, winner. you know, is, it will be really interesting for years to come. So I know you touched on some of this stuff a little bit, but what's your favorite activity to do with friends and family outside of business and investing in all this solar stuff? Oh, man. I mean, I love getting my, I, I actually do a lot of business with my family. You know, my, my favorite part is when we have the ability. Uh, so we've got some land down in Virginia, property down there. You know, we love to kick back, just chill, eat. My family know how to cook. Like they know how to throw down. So it's just always about, you know, having a great environment, kicking back with them. Cases will go on trips. You know, I got a, I got a handful of my, my family members, my compadres that'll, that'll go and do the, do the X stuff with me. You know, you do our, our uh, spelunking or, you know, I'm trying to go base jumping. I'm, my, my 30th is coming up. So I'm trying to, hey, look, if y'all see this, I'm trying to, trying to go. Let's, <laughs> let's get it. Um, oh, man. But yeah. So, I mean, you know, just, just generally hanging out with them. I got, you know, my nieces and nephews. I try to spend as much time with them because they just keep growing like they on weeds. You know, so uh, really just any any kind of opportunity I get to to spend, kick back with them, you know, watch some shows, watch some movies and, um, you know, eat some good food. That's always a it's always refreshing. So, yeah, man. Well, it's nice that your business ventures can can cross the family boundaries, too. Right. Obviously, you know, it's nice to kind of delineate at times, but it's nice that you know, you can, it's a lot easier to trust partners within your family and you know them and the relationship and how to interact with them a lot more. Yeah, <laughs> I know you. I know where your kids. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, so, I know we talked a lot about business and different mediums that you've been through and your experiences. But outside of all of this, what 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 really offers you the most fulfillment in life? I think actually being able to to make differences and make changes when there are things that you know, and I think that was one of the reasons I kind of exited engineering was because I was working on certain projects and I knew that they were ultimately, you know, not necessarily beneficial to, you know, society as a greater whole, or even the companies that I might have been with, you know, working on a maybe a very small portion of a component of, uh, you know, a, a turbine or uh, working on the different part of, you know, off highway vehicle or something like that. And ultimately, yeah, I know it's my contribution to a larger project. But at the end of the day, these are for mining, or these are for, you know, 
I, I personally, from being able to see a, a house that is not there or in disrepair and to see a finished product that is beautiful when I've had my hand in every single aspect of it, you know, kind of going from from that perspective and knowing that I can take somebody from, you know, not knowing a lot about life to transforming their lives into being able to know more about financial investments, financial savvy and helping them purchase their first homes. Like those are things that I like to do and appreciate, you know, versus kind of some of the more, you know, menial mundane for me. So that's, that's, that's my thing is I actually want to, to make, make change. So if not you, then who? Yeah, no, that's powerful, man. And I mean, I'm right there with you. I think impact is kind of above all else, right? You know, how can we lift up others and, you know, how can we kind of link arms and, you know, see how far we can really take this thing. So, so I love right. that. So, so Jordan, well, what's the best way for the audience to get a hold of you out there and kind of check out the new uh, projects and, you know, see what this 10 unit off grid micro grid project it looks like when it's all done and finished and done. Hey, so um, you can actually, you can find me on Instagram. I don't post a ton. I am I'm fixing it. I, I got it. I'm sorry. Uh, J Taylor underscore TMG. Uh, that's my Instagram. And you can also find me. Uh, I got a, a link tree on there for all the different websites. Just click the link in the bio. Uh, you can find a lot of the stuff I'm working on and I will be posting more. Uh, it'll be on the YouTubes. It'll be on the Instagrams. But yeah, that's that's an easy go-to. Yeah, man. Well, I really appreciated the conversation. I took a lot out of it. So thank you so much. I appreciate you taking the time and looking forward to, to see where you take things here in the near future. Hey, not a problem, man. Always good to be here. Always good talking to you. Always yeah, a good man. conversation. <laughs> we always have fun, right? <laughs> right, right. All right. Well, until next time, live uh, fulfilled. Thank you for listening to Contrarian Cashflow. I would greatly appreciate it if you left an honest review, hit subscribe so you never miss an episode, and share with someone you feel would find value. Until next time, think different, earn different, live fulfilled.